All right, I'm here with James Ramsey, a coworker of mine, also a friend. James, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to be here and excited to get into it. Yeah, I thought we could talk about how to fix marketing in your company, how to fix the marketing engine. What's broken? What can we bring our experiences to the table and, and help people solve for? Yeah, well, you're absolutely not thinking small there. You're kind of tackling the whole thing, which I love. Um, and yeah, I think we were talking about this a little bit before the episode and one of my big things, and it sounds like yours as well, is to kind of make sure that you zoom out and are getting the full picture, um, and are not really too focused in kind of the minutia, the KPIs, and are really getting a good idea of what's happening end to end and how you're creating value. And that's got to be the core of how to fix really anything, including marketing. Yeah, I was reflecting on my own work yesterday. It was mm -hmm. a Sunday. I was sitting back thinking, like, what am I doing? You know, sometimes <laughs> I think if we've you all had that a, moment in quarantine, right? Especially working in a corporate job, it can be so easy to get distracted from the core values of what we're driving towards. I realized I've been just the my my mindset has been. Mm -hmm. very much focused on the specific projects I'm working on and not in the overall marketing results that, that we're in charge of bringing. We want more energy. We want more interest. We want more conversion. And instead of just thinking in my little silo, I realized I have to be thinking about those big picture goals that we have as an organization always and, and always have that in the back of my mind while I'm developing these projects to make sure that they're actually driving what the overall goals are of our organization. So I, I think that that's what you were talking about because it's not just one KPI. It's not just that one interesting thing that you develop that you want to track. It's the whole business, at least the whole department for marketing and how what you're doing impacts those big metrics that everybody should be focusing on. Yeah, absolutely. There's a really impactful quote that I love that's kind of on the same topic. Um, that's not everything that counts can be counted and not everything that, be, that can be counted counts. And you kind of hit on that really well where you, know, you can set up this KPI and you can say, okay, I'm trying to drive visits and that's all I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put the blinders on and I'm gonna get visits on this page. Um, and maybe at the end of the project, you call it a success, you've doubled or tripled visitation to that page, but your boss comes by and is seeing the full picture of the value driven from that page and sees no change, or maybe it got worse, or maybe it was only a minor improvement. Um, and I think that's a pitfall that we've all fallen into of getting very focused on a specific number and not thinking about the value. And in this case, maybe that web page was not the right experience, maybe it was not the right web page, maybe it had broken links, for whatever reason wasn't resonating with your audience. Um, so it's something that you've gotta constantly zoom out and say, okay, I've been tracking this metric, this KPI, is that bringing me value? And if it is, keep following it. And if it's not, abandon it and find something else, or maybe don't even track a KPI. Um, kind of like I said, it's not always down to a number, although that is the best way to optimize and sometimes is the easiest, sometimes you just don't have that route. Definitely. Um, and, and I like what you said. When you, when you come up with a metric, you, you, and it's good, you have to stick to it. You have to keep optimizing towards it. 
mm-hmm. all too often we can get distracted by new capabilities and new metrics to follow and to track and we kind of lose the previous um, metrics and and those are initiatives really like uh, when you come up with a new metric you want to track it's an initiative it's a thing that you know as an organization we're going to focus on and when that gets kind of pushed by the wayside because some new metric comes in um, I think that that dilutes the strategy and and if you don't stick with something for long enough I think it was it was essentially wasted um, effort um, to, to develop a KPI and to change business processes towards it um, and then to abandon it. It's like starting a, a gym membership for two weeks and then, and then having to pay an early exit fee or something for it. You ended up paying more than the value that you got out of it. And I think that that's all too common. Yeah, no, I absolutely believe that's the case that a lot of big companies have worked at two or three large companies and definitely seen that, I like to call it the, the flavor of the month. Um, typically it comes with maybe a new boss or there's a new initiative and there's a new focus on whatever the metric is. And that metric is the be all end all. If we achieve that, our company becomes profitable for the next 10 years. Um, and then next quarter, it's something different. And all the work that you've done that quarter doesn't really add up to much and you don't really start to build that momentum. Um, and it kind of reminds me, I'm not sure if you've read the book, Good to Great, but they talk in that book about essentially why some businesses become great and they look at them when they're average and then 10 years later when they're these well-known, very high-level corporations. And one thing that always stuck with me is this idea of a flywheel. And if you essentially imagine a very large, flat wheel, um, maybe it weighs a ton and you start to push it and you're pushing it at maybe a tenth of a mile an hour. You're just barely moving this thing. Um, if you just keep pushing that flywheel uh, week after week, you know, month after month, quarter after quarter, eventually it starts moving pretty quick and you're putting in this effort constantly and you're just maintaining that flywheel. And in, in a sense, it's kind of a cash cow where you've done all this work, you've gotten it to this point and now it's paying off by itself. And when I see people jump around between metrics or between initiatives, I always think back to that and the idea that you should never start a flywheel if you don't intend to finish it and you should never leave one once it's going and it's in that cash cow state. You should never step away from that. Um, Like you'll never see a big company step away from something that it's great at. And there's a reason for that. It's because that's what they're known for. That's what they've put in the hard work, the foundation. Um, And great companies tend to do less of that flavor of the month because while it can seem attractive and it can seem great in the moment, it often ends up being kind of a wasted effort. That is such a good metaphor because it it puts into light the value of sticking to a strategy and doubling down and tripling down on on what's working um, instead of constantly searching for new things. I think there's a lot of personal lessons that relate to that. Just in, you know, whatever you're doing, if you keep switching what you're focusing on every month, you're not going to get very far in anything. I'm definitely guilty of that. I'll start something. I won't keep it up. I'll move to something else. I waste a lot of time that way. But the things I'm most proud of are the things I stuck to. Um, hopefully this podcast is one of them. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely believe that. Um, and I find that to be definitely true. And in terms of in like your personal space, uh, 
I don't know why this always stuck with me, but there was this, I can't remember who tweeted it, but it was this tweet that I saw maybe a month ago. Um, and it was a really simple math problem and there was no explanation behind it. It was just the math. It was two lines. The first line is one to the power of 365 equals one. The next line was 1.01 to the power of 365 equals 37. And I saw that and I was like, what, what is this doing on my feed? Why do I care about this? What is happening? Um, and then I realized what it was saying. It was saying if you get 1% better every day versus if you do nothing, you'll end up being 37 times better than you were at the start of the year in one year um, versus doing nothing, you know, being stagnant. That 1% doesn't seem like a huge jump, but then at the end of the year, when you see it add up like that, um, to me, that's the power of consistency and not jumping between KPIs, not jumping between, you know, different focuses and initiatives, but staying true to one thing that you think creates value. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of big companies could do better. Typically, we like to jump around to different metrics. We like to focus on new things and sometimes I personally believe that it's a lot of people within the company saying, you know, I want to be busy. I want to show that I'm doing all this work. Um, and we get focused on the wrong things. And it comes from, I think, a good place of saying, I want to be productive. I want to contribute. Um, but I think to me, before you start any project or jump into any work stream, the first thing you need to do is that foundation work. Make sure you're grounded. Where's the value and why are you doing what you're doing? Um, so like, Alex, if you were to give me an assignment and say, hey, I want you to go optimize this web page, I would probably ask you why 20 different times in 20 different ways um, to make sure that optimizing a web page is really what you want out of this project. Maybe you just want more revenue from a certain product. Um, and I think that that's something that it sounds obvious. Like when I say it, everybody's like, oh, of course, always ask why, always get to the bottom line. But in practice, a lot of people don't do it. They say, oh, my boss said that, that's what I'm gonna do, and jump right on it and start doing the work without really knowing exactly where they're headed. I guess we can put a cap on this lesson and say this is number <laughs> one, is make sure that you're not being distracted, that you have a fluent strategy that you're sticking to, and you're quickly deciding if it works or not, and then abandoning the projects that just aren't going anywhere, and you're applying a more critical eye to the projects that you decide to pick up in the future so you don't waste time getting something going just to have it uh, fail. So definitely focusing um, your efforts and, and making sure you have a sound strategy would be the first way to diagnose a problem uh, in your marketing machine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we've all heard the, the phrase move fast and break things. Make sure you're moving in the right direction first. Yeah, and break definitely break things. I love that. I love that because it's it's the permission to fail, and the bigger the, and I actually I'll pose this to you. Do you think it's uh, easier to break things at a big company or a small company? I think it's easier at a small company, um, and I know that's tough, and it's tough to kind of generalize that out like that. Um, but I think that a lot of small companies have really embraced that methodology because that's how you have to start when you're starting a small company when you're starting from scratch. Um, they're constantly, if you're thinking about an entrepreneur, they're constantly reevaluating what's the value, what's the why, what am I bringing to this? Um, so they have that kind of mindset ingrained. 
And it's actually something that I've seen big companies start to pick up on. You'll hear a lot of like agile or different marketing philosophies. I know I've, I've heard of my fair share. Um, and it's something that I really embrace as the idea of agile. What I tend to shy away from is a little bit more of like the buzzwords and like using it as a, a defense of how you work. Um, I think that it should only ever be in terms of the thought process and the way that you approach a problem and less around, oh, you know, I set up 15 minute check-ins with my team or we do, you know, we call our work effort sprints. I think it should always be more around setting that mindset. Um, but to answer your original question, I think that it's, I don't think that you can have a small company that's close to a startup that doesn't move fast and break things and stay successful or become successful. I think you, you have to have that mindset. I agree. And the more I think about it at big companies, you know, there's so much more you have to lose. Mm -hmm. And with more that you have to lose comes uh, less uh, risk aversion or more risk aversion, I should say. So um, that's I think that's definitely right. Uh, The way I was looking at it was from the individual contributor level, but that's not how you have to look at it. The risk is correlated with the size of the company. So um, when a startup breaks something, that's very big with relative to the value of the company when a very large company breaks a very tiny little thing you can imagine like a gear in a machine mm-hmm. if it's a very very tiny thing it's probably not going to break the machine but if a big company were to take a risk the size uh proportionate to a small company breaking something that would be insane it would yeah. seem insane to do so in that perspective it absolutely would be a lot easier and, and perhaps necessary to your point, to move fast and break things as a smaller company. And I think it's a lot harder to, to have that mindset um, at a big company. And I think there, the proportion, the proportionality matters oh, absolutely because does. we're not taking risks. Yeah. That are that big um, at big companies. It's, it's fine tuned mi- like micro efficiencies that, that we do. And if the micro efficiency ends up being less efficient, that's, kind of the risk that I see a lot of the time and it's not it's not real risk it's it's kind of just like a small tweak yeah and I I think the kind of the middle sweet spot there if we think about you know that that's kind of what is in my mind you know small companies move fast break things big companies a little bit more strict and rules-based if I were to like think about what could be I I worked at this company that had the idea of decision rights and I felt really empowered by it where I wouldn't give you, like if I go back to my earlier example, I wouldn't give you a project that says increase visitation on this website. Um, What I would do instead is I would say, Alex, you're over website design for this whole business unit or you're over website design with a goal of getting revenue for this product. and you can come back to me and ask me the 10, 10 why questions about, oh, like, what am I doing? How should I do this? And my answer to you is going to be, well, you own it. Um, so the idea would be that you're essentially a, a small business operating within a large business. Um, you can take risks. You can, you know, move fast, break things. You can define your own path. And you've got that kind of north star of, you know, here's the goal that I want. Um, but you have the decision rights for how you get there. And then the other piece of that is being held accountable 
in a positive or a negative sense. Um, so if you succeed, you know, increase decision rights, you can take bigger risks, maybe you get a raise, maybe you get a better job. Um, and then if, you know, something bad happens, we just go back and kind of deep dive into what went wrong and how to avoid it in the future. But I think that idea of empowerment is kind of the solution for big companies not having that move fast and break things mentality. And that's what I've seen from a lot of places where I work. And I think it's very difficult to have too much employee empowerment. So that's something that I think I would definitely recommend for anybody who finds themselves in a big company. What I'm hearing from you is we have to understand that there is a level of risk that almost lubricates the gears of the machine. And if you don't have that risk tolerance, it's like if you had your shoulder socket, imagine, you know, touch your shoulder, you have a certain amount of liquid in there, mm -hmm. it lets it kind of move around. So that lubrication has almost like a margin of error, like it can kind of jiggle around in there. And if you didn't have that, it'd be very painful. Your elbow wouldn't be able to move very much. Um, you might be sure that it's not going to like pop out of place by accident because it has no mobility whatsoever. Um, but generally speaking, it's going to be much worse than if you had a little bit of an error rate where it could kind of jiggle around in there. Um, it's maybe like a terrible, it might be my worst metaphor of the week. <laughs> the, the point I'm trying to make is that you need a little bit of wiggle room for employees to be able to think critically and to take ownership um, and take risks in order to get the payouts, in order to get um, different creative ideas brought to the table that actually might be that next big idea that, that came from just, you know, some random employee and it ended up really helping the business. And, and that happens. That's something I think we can all take back is, is think about your organization. How much freedom and, and risks do the employees have um, or, or how much risk are the employees able to, to uh, take? And if you're at a very big company, that number is it's probably very small. The answer is it's probably very small. So then can you increase that? And, and might that be one of the things that you can do that you can take away mm -hmm. from this and say, this is also something that might be broken um, in my marketing machine is that I'm not giving my employees enough uh, risk uh, allowance so that they can come up with new ideas and own those ideas and work them through to either success or failure. And then you have the flip side. If you're at a startup, for instance, do you have like no direction at all, right? And you're just like, take it. We're not even gonna talk about it. It's just all you. Um, and, and it may be somebody who, who doesn't even want that kind of ownership. I mean, that kind of sucks. You, you, I think most people, they want people to at least bounce ideas off of. So also making sure on the flip side, um, probably less of a problem, but still um, something to keep in mind. Are you kind of letting people too loose? Do they maybe want a little bit more structure? Kind of like the cool parent uh, seems like a good idea in theory, but the kids, kids actually want some structure. Um, so so the, the perfect balance is a little bit of a... a you know, a little bit of a structured approach with some wiggle room. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I think one thing that's tough and it's easy to say, you know, this should be the case. You should get the right level of risk allowance. Um, one thing that's difficult is to take that idea and then put it into practice. Um, no matter where you work in those two scenarios that you just listed, where maybe you're a startup and you have too much or you're at a big company and you have too little um, it's easy to kind of look up at your manager, your CEO, the C-level executives and say, man, yeah, they should be doing this and kind of point outwards like that. 
Um, one thing that I would recommend as a takeaway is to kind of take it upon yourself and have that conversation, whether it's with your manager or another executive, or if you are a manager, have it with your employees um, and just have a frank conversation and say, you know, I want more risk allowance and I think that I can really um, prosper if I focus on X project. Here's my project plan. Here's what I would do. Here's what I'm optimizing for. Here's what I'm going to do if that doesn't work. Um, and to show not only, you know, do you have that desire, but that you could handle that level of, it's, it's essentially freedom, um, that risk allowance. Uh, so I think that taking it upon yourself and trying to not, you know, point outwards and say, yeah, they should be giving me that, they should be doing that. Um, even if you have to start small and you're starting with like a, a task that you would say is kind of minimal, but at least you own it. Um, you can, you know, develop a track record and build that and then get to that ownership level that you actually want. Um, and then once you're at that sweet spot, you know, you're a success story for that happening. And to me, that's how that change actually happens and cascades down is one or two people champion it like that at a company or at a division or a business unit. Um, and everybody else sees it and says, oh man, we should, we should all be doing this. Why are we not operating like that guy? That guy is you, James. Just wanted to tell everybody. <laughs> it's time you all know. I don't know about that. <laughs> Speaking of your shoulder metaphor, do you have like a worst metaphor of the week award? Or is that like a special for this podcast? That is, that is a special for this podcast. Um, but yeah, if I can go back to your, your shoulder example, I think the one that I would use, not that I didn't love the shoulder one, um, is the idea of if your friend is driving a car and he's going 80 miles an hour down the interstate and you see a turn coming up and he does not see it. Um, if you tell him, hey, there's a turn coming up, you should change course. And he says, oh no, like I've always been going straight. I'm going to keep going straight. Like this is the direction that we've always done it and it's always worked out. Um, that's insanity. Like to have that answer is crazy. And to have the flexibility of no, I'm going to like, you know, in this case, I'm owning this trip and I'm going to get us there safely and on time. Um, and then being able to decide how you do that, that's how you create a much more flexible organization that can avoid like really any kind of major disruption in the marketplace or at least react to it, if not avoid. Because um, I think that at a big company, you're much more susceptible to saying you're, be you're being that friend who says, no, we've always been going this direction. It's worked out in the past. We're going to keep going this way. And maybe something has changed in the market and there's, you know, that big dividing wall right in front of you and you actually do need to turn. If you give people the freedom to make that decision themselves, um, if you kind of empower your employees like that, then you don't really need to have this kind of command and control structure 